This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel. My guest today is Lauren Fogelman, who's a keynote speaker and one of America's top-ranked business coaches. In 2018, she was recognized by HubSpot in its annual list of the world's top 22 business coaches. As a keynote speaker, Lauren has delivered talks and workshops across the United States at major conferences such as Inbound, one of the world's most esteemed content marketing events for entrepreneurs, as well as many niche conferences for accounting professionals. Lauren is an expert in pricing strategy and sales for small business owners. Her passion is empowering accounting professionals and other entrepreneurs to double revenues by working half the time through strategic pricing and effective sales sales techniques. Lauren coaches service-based entrepreneurs to shift away from the trap of the dollars per hour business module to a value-based module that has, in some cases, allowed her clients to reduce workload by as much as 50% while doubling revenues. So welcome, Lauren. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me on. Really excited about our conversation today. Yes, as am I. So, Lauren, tell us a little bit about your background. Our podcast is Roar to Win, which is resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. And how does that kind of fit in with your philosophies and what's going on with you? Well, uh, as far as my background, I'm a sports psychologist turned business coach. And what I have seen is that entrepreneurs and elite athletes have more similarities than they have differences. Uh, basically, they, the main differences are that they wear different uniforms and they're looking to uh, achieve different numbers. But aside from that, if they're both really looking to be the best that they can, they're looking to make a difference, have a greater impact, then there's more that's similar than difference. And it's really about the fact that you can get all the strategies, all the tactical steps, But if you're overthinking it, you get in your own way, you're concerned about what other people are doing, then those thoughts and conflicting values are going to just hold you back from reaching your full potential. And I really want to help entrepreneurs be able to get their message out there in a bigger way than they feel possible. I think that's a very interesting comparison that you've made between sports athletes and um, entrepreneurs, because... Even though we're, I guess the only difference is one sweats a little more than the other, visibly. I I don't know. um, (laughs) I'm getting ready to go on stage in front of a large audience. Uh I will visibly sweat, trust me. (laughs) And it's it's a little bit of stage fright because I absolutely do still have um, anxiety before I get on stage. But it's also that I just want to make sure that I make an impact on the audience. They're taking time away from their busy day to be there. And I want to make sure that I give them something to walk away with. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really impressed also. You're, you're on HubSpot's list of the 22 top 22 business coaches. That's quite an accomplishment. And congratulations on that. Well, thank you. So um, how did you go from, from shifting from doing sports psychology to working with entrepreneurs? What was your, your journey there? I actually was doing both at the same time. I was doing business coaching locally, and then the sports psychology was more of my online business. Uh, What I found is that 
working with high achieving athletes is a lot of fun because they're really motivated individuals. I was speaking all over the country. H however, I got tired of having two businesses. And when I really took a step back and looked at the two different businesses and I figured out how to bring the mindset piece that I worked with on athletes into the business coaching, then I felt that I can let the sports psychology go on a back burner and really focus all my energies on the entrepreneurs. And, and I will just say, Michelle, it was so liberating. And once I actually made that decision, my, my business just took off. So would that be comparable to people who have one foot in the, like the corporate world because that's their anchor and their safety net versus somebody, who, you know, when they really, really want to go onto the entrepreneurial journey? I, I think that it's more about looking at whether someone's just interested or fully committed. When you're interested, you will do what's convenient. Uh, but when you're asked to do things that are outside of your comfort zone, you'll hesitate, you'll get busy with other things that might not be as big of an opportunity. And when you're fully committed, you're going to do whatever is necessary, no matter what. And, and it was really, for me, about being able to fully commit to one particular segment that took my business to the next level. Yeah, the, the commitment is really important. Mm -hmm. And it, it, <laughs> we do oftentimes, it's like, in, in my business, I do a lot of posting on Facebook. And so sometimes I find that instead of just going in and putting on my post and then getting out again immediately, I kind of start going, oh, let me look at this and then get really distracted. So the, uh, it's easy to do that. So the focus and that again is the, the comparison between athletes who are always very focused, the, the really good ones, and an entrepreneur who stays focused on their business principles. So with your business coaching, then you're able to look at it not just from the experience of being an excellent business person yourself, but also from understanding the psychology behind it. So can you tell us a little bit about the psychology that, that it takes in order to be successful? Sure. Uh, part of what I've seen as far as being a sports psychologist term business coach, first of all, is that when you get your training, whatever way that you get your training, you get the fundamentals to be really fantastic at that thing that you do. But you're usually trained to be an employee and working for somebody else as opposed to a business or owner. And, and that was true for me also, Michelle. What I found is that I am great at that thing that I do. However, figuring out how to have enrolling conversations, how to market my business, how to price my services was never taught to me in school because they trained me to be an employee for somebody else. And I needed to really crack the code on that if I wanted to have a business that supported my lifestyle instead of one that actually sucks the life out of me. Because I've had that one too, and I don't want that one anymore. So um, what I found through my experience is that there's five steps that really help someone design a profitable business. And the very first one is you want to start with your strengths. That, that's because school got it wrong. School taught you to be good at, and get A's in every single subject. But in the real world, you really want to specialize in that thing that you can uniquely do that nobody else can do as well as you. So figure out what your strengths are and really tune into that and lead with your strengths. The second step is to start to separate your fees from time. Because when you charge by the hour, 
the section or the project, then you're actually commoditizing your services where it's all about selling your time. And the truth is that as you gain expertise and you price according to time, you actually make less money for that service you provide than when you first started doing it because you got better or technology advanced in some ways and you can get that result faster than you could in the beginning. So you are actually earning less than when you first started out, even though you have more expertise. So you really want to focus on the value and being able to uh, solve a particular solution, solve a particular um, problem or challenge for your clients as opposed to just selling your time. And when you price according to value, then it just opens up the opportunities as to how much profit and income you can bring into your business. The third step is recognizing that success is messy. An example is if I ask the listeners to be able to double or even triple their rates as soon as we got off this interview, what thoughts just popped up into your mind? And it's proof that the, what we think, our beliefs, our values sometimes hold us back and have us play it smaller than what we're meant to be doing. So recognize that in order to be able to succeed at the level that you want to succeed, you have to recognize that success happens from the inside out and you have to grow into that next version of yourself in order to have that level of success. Uh, step number four is stand out as a go-to expert. Um, it's similar to, Michelle, what you're doing with Raw and, and really how you're focusing on resilience for people and making that really what it is that you're known for. Uh, and so anybody that's listening, recognize that there's a lot of other people doing something similar and you want to figure out what your system is. What are the steps to take a potential client from where they are when they first meet with you to that end result of where they want to be and to be able to know the steps and to articulate them because that takes something that might be very abstract to them and it starts to make it concrete where they can picture working with you. So figure out what your uh, system is so you can stand out as that go-to expert. And the fifth one is solve a need. The thing that you want to focus on when you're talking with potential clients, when you are marketing your services, when you're at those network meetings and you get to share what you do, is you want to really tune into what is that problem that you solve? Or what is it that you help your clients achieve? And your clients will come to you for those two reasons. Either they have a problem they, they can't fix on their own, or they want to achieve something they simply can't get there on their own because they've never done it before and they don't know how to do that. So what is the problem that you actually solve um, or help them achieve? I will let you know that 75% of your potential clients want to actually fix something and get rid of a problem as opposed to achieving something. And tune into that. And that's going to really start to connect with your potential clients and have them reach out to you. So, Michelle, those are the ways that I help my clients be able to really create a profitable business that is going to set them up for success and support their lifestyle. Those are really awesome steps. I appreciate that. So, um, tell me what your thoughts are on niche, because many people that I talk to, that I run into, when they're asked the question, what problem do you solve? Oh, all of them. So, you know, I, they, they can help everybody. So tell me what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I absolutely have some very definite thoughts. Uh, 
uh, could could we help everybody? Absolutely, we could. But the reality is that we don't have the capacity to really connect with every single person in the world out there. And you want to do, given your resources of time, money, and energy, what's going to be most effective? And most effective is really narrowing down to a specific population that is very interested in what you have to solve, uh, how you can help them, as opposed to trying to be all things to all people. When you are, and, and let me just give you an example. Uh, one of my clients uh, is in health and services. And she is really an expert at helping people that have lower back pain. So when someone has lower back pain, are they going to, you know, and, and it's been really affecting their lives in so many ways and it's been for years. So it's not even chronic anymore. It's, a, it's, it's not acute anymore. It's chronic. It's really made an impact on their lifestyle. So at that point, are they going to look for a generalist or a specialist? Probably a specialist. And, and at that point, um, they're most likely looking for a specialist because they might have tried all the generalists already and not gotten the results. Right. And once they decide they want to go with a specialist, are they going to go with the person that is the least expensive or has the most expertise in solving their particular issue? Well, the one with the most expertise, of course. That, that's what I would do also. And, mm -hmm. and, and therefore, when we would choose for our own issues, someone who's a specialist that has the most expertise, why as entrepreneurs do we want to be generalists and then compete on price? So niching is counterintuitive. And it really goes against the, our thoughts of how we ought to be trying to uh, reach everybody. But by doing that, it actually has the ability to take your business to the next level because now you're seen as an expert. So specific people are really attracted to what you have to offer. You can go ahead and charge higher fees because you specialize and they trust that you can do it and help them to resolve that problem sooner as opposed to being a long, drawn-out, painful ordeal. Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, you do have some opinions. <laughs> And it's, it's really important. And I appreciate, um, I'm thinking back to a conversation that you and I had three years ago, um, where I was just kind of starting out and kind of said, well, I can help these people. And, and it's like, I, I was unclear as to what it was that I was doing. And once I have become more clear as to, you know, I teach people how to be resilient, how to overcome mm -hmm. their, their experiences from trauma, it makes all the difference in the world. Because... Yeah, I can help everybody, but it's not really a good use of my time to do that either because it, you end up um, just kind of being generic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and so I don't want to be a general practitioner. I want to be a specialist. So I, I appreciate that conversation that we had. I still think about it. You know, occasionally it's like, well, Lauren said. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate you bringing it up, uh, Michelle. And, and I will let you know that when I help my clients be able to double their income working half the time. Developing their niche and their ideal client is really the very first thing that I look at. And to recognize that you can niche in two different ways. One is you can actually have a particular industry that you work with, but the other way to niche that people don't talk about as much is focusing on psychographics, which is recognizing you work best with a certain personality type mm -hmm. and being able to really attract that type of client to you as opposed to 
everybody. Exactly. I just had a conversation with a woman just just before the podcast, actually. Um, and she was saying something about the lines like she wanted to help people who had been uh, stay-at-home moms, but she thought she'd be better if maybe she did in the corporate world, but that isn't her world. She's never been there. So um, we had just had that conversation about what is your expertise? What do you know best? Mm-hmm. And, and while she may know the emotions and things of people, and she may know, you know, problems that they have in certain areas, she doesn't really know what the corporate world is like because she's never been there. So yeah, playing to your strengths, as you have said. So that would be, that's really great. You also mentioned that success is messy. Tell me about that. Uh, I, I know that I can give somebody a million dollar blueprint for their business, but if they have conflicting values about getting out there and being seen, uh, maybe safety things come up for them with having that exposure. If they have uh, different types of thoughts about money and being able to ask for what they're worth or charging more prices, they don't want to be able to change the essence of who they are and become greedy now or have people think that they are um, self-centered. All those things can stop you from taking those action steps. And to recognize that it's not what it is that you need to do because everything that you need to do to be successful is out there on the internet. You can find it freely. But it's really the thoughts that you have that hold you back, that keep you playing a smaller game than what you think is possible. A lot of times it might be the people that you're associated with. They just don't get it. They don't understand why you're trying to do this thing or take those risks. And those are the factors, the mindset piece, that really makes a difference as to whether you step up or you step back. Mm -hmm. So how much time do you spend working with your clients on their limiting beliefs? Like how do you find the core thoughts that are keeping them stuck from moving forward? Well, I think it depends on the individual that I'm working with because the way that I work is really about me being able to support my clients in the way that they need it as opposed to them adapting to me. Mm-hmm. I will say that when I work with someone, it always includes the mindset piece as well as the strategy and the tactical steps. I want to know what is that vision of what it is that they want to do? Um, what why are they compelled to do this? Why is it important to them? How do we start to get there? And what's coming up that's keeping you from doing that? That's part of why I love doing the pricing with my clients is because the pricing is so messy. It's not just about, okay, doubling your rates. It's about all those thoughts and values and cultural uh, things that come out that really hold you back from doing it because nobody else is doing it that way. And an example is how you first figure out pricing. Most of us charge by the hour, the session, or the project because that's what everybody else in our space is doing. But what if that's not the most effective way to price your services? And as we shift away from pricing for time and pricing for value, it brings up a lot of questions. It uh, lets you really look at who you are and what are the things that have been holding you back that don't serve you any longer and how to be able to reframe them or shift them so that you can then move forward and have more flow in your business. So does the individual's belief in their own value determine whether or not they think they are worth what they're charging when you suggest they raise their prices? 
absolutely. Uh, we, we, we have to sometimes go, and, and not that I'm looking to do therapy with anybody, I'm not, but if there is a conflicting belief that's keeping them from moving forward, it would be good to be able to identify it because otherwise you'll keep on hitting a brick wall and not getting the results that you want. What I will see is a lot of times it has to do with self-worth. It might be about something that they heard or learned from somebody else that they then uh, took on as their own and became part of their identity. Uh, it could be about trust. Do they trust themselves as well as can other people trust them to really step up in that way? And the one that I think is really the most interesting and fascinating, and a lot of times it's hidden, is there's a downside to success. What mm -hmm. is it that I might have to give up in order to be more successful? I think that that is so important, but it's not talked about a lot because most people don't even recognize that it's going on under the radar. But if we really look at the downside to success and be able to figure it out and recognize that you don't have to compromise or give up other important things in your life in order to succeed, then we can go ahead and start to reframe that so it really supports their work as opposed to holding them back. Yeah, that's really interesting. I discovered once, um, I think I came across something I wrote seven years ago, and it was, uh, what will happen if you are successful? I looked at it from that angle, and that angle is like, wow, if I'm successful, then the person that I'm with might feel intimidated because I'm making more money than they are, or, you know, it had to do with a, a relationship kind of a thing. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I have to kind of keep myself in this specific position so that I don't make them uncomfortable. And looking at it now, it's like, oh my, criminy. <laughs> you know, glad I got over that. But um, those are some real serious problems that we have. So how do you, you said that you won't do therapy with people, but it, it sounds like, isn't this kind of like therapy anyway? I don't think so. Uh, I, I really look at it as coaching. However, I had the skills of a therapist. And what I recognize is that a lot of times what we think is getting away is very different than really what is going on and holding it back and having you feel stuck. And I'm very um, skilled at being able to find that thing that is going on. And you might be looking over towards the upper left quadrant and think that it's this thing over here when it's really down in the lower right quadrant that's uh, keeping you stuck. And if we can find that and start to illuminate what it is, then you have choices as to whether that value or belief still works with you, for you and you want to keep it or if it's time to recognize that there's a new one that's better suited for where you want to go. So it's more about the fact that we can blend in the mindset piece in order to get better results for you than the fact that it's going to be a long, drawn-out, painful therapeutic process. I, I don't want to do that with anybody. It, it doesn't have to be that way in order for you to be able to grow into that next version of yourself. So you were talking about uh, right upper quadrants and left lower quadrants. Do you want to explain <laughs> yeah. that to people? They're going to wonder what you meant. Sure. sure. Uh, so, so let's talk about weeding because this is a lot of what our belief work is about. When you have, when you're weeding in your garden, you can simply pull the part of the weed that is above the dirt and think that you got rid of the weed because yeah. that's the surface part that you're seeing and you think that you did a good job. However, if you don't get to the root of the weed and pull at the root, 
that weed is going to pop above the surface again and again and again until you actually pull out the root system. And what I am really um, dedicated to doing with my clients is helping them get results, not just results that are temporary, but I want them to have long-lasting results. And that means sometimes when there's something that's keeping them from moving forward, we have to do some gardening and figure out what the root is that's keeping them from getting that result that they want and be able to shift that around or remove it and replace it with a replace the weed with a flower. Um, and, and that way they're then ready to move forward. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. I like the analogy. Um, we're going to take a small break here. And when we come back, we'll continue with our interview with Lauren Fogelman, who is a success business coach. And she's giving us some really important tips. So hang in there. We'll be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And our guest today is Lauren Fogelman, who is a keynote speaker and one of America's top-ranked business coaches. And Lauren has been giving us some really great opportunities to understand and learn more about how to make our businesses more successful, which I really appreciate, Lauren. So um, with your expertise in the research, what do you discover that highly, highly, highly successful entrepreneurs do differently than others? I believe that when they are moving forward in the business, as I mentioned earlier, they are fully committed. They are going to do whatever is necessary, no matter what. However, I also know that they have a compelling underlying reason for what they're doing and it is greater than they are. They are there to make a bigger impact, to make a change, to influence some people, to really climb up the ladder with them. And it comes from deep inside and it feels very, very purposeful, like it's a mission, and they have no choice but to say yes to doing that. So it's a passion that they have. A, a passion as well as a purpose. Okay. So, um a lot of times entrepreneurs feel that passion, they feel that purpose, but they're not successful because I guess they're obviously lacking in something. How do they know when it's time to quit? Uh, I, when it feels like a grind, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's time to quit. It might be that they need to look at things and they develop somebody else's business instead of sticking with their dreams and what they 
intended to be doing. So when you're out there as an entrepreneur, and Michelle, I know that this happens to you, this happens to me, you have a lot of well-meaning people telling you how to build your business and what you <laughs> ought to be doing. Yes. Uh, if you are someone who is service-oriented, you want to please other people. If you maybe lack a little bit of confidence or don't really feel sure about yourself, you might start to overthink things and second-guess yourself. Uh, this happened with one of my clients where she is a service provider. She is actually an accounting professional, but she loves taking care of people and pleasing other people. That is something that's really important to her. And people are giving her this great advice about what she ought to do with her business and where she ought to specialize and where she ought to network. And she started following other people's advice. And what happened was after a couple of years, she realized that she didn't enjoy her practice very much because she was working with clients who didn't really appreciate her or value her. They challenged her a lot. She was doing parts of, she was doing work that she didn't really enjoy very much or the compliance work as opposed to the higher level advisory services. And she was working with specific industries that weren't a great fit for what she had to offer. So we started to be, uh, change her business model in order to be one that was aligned with her strengths, which was one of the um, uh, steps that you need to do to be able to get paid what you're worth is mm -hmm. focus on your strengths. So we started to align that. We started to let go of some of the non-ideal clients, the types of work that she didn't like doing any longer. And as a result, she was able to actually let go of 30% of her clients, but she actually doubled her income because of that. And to recognize that you have to really be discerning about whose advice you're going to take. So I know a lot of people who, um, they basically build their business by way of surfing the internet gurus and watching all of the webinars and taking little snippets here and there of advice from all of these other people. Um, what is your recommendation when somebody is truly serious about improving their business and being more successful? Uh, my recommendation, because I have done this for myself also, is I have been able to identify what is that next challenge that I need to solve to be able to move my business forward. And then I will find the business coach that has solved that problem and has a system in place. And if it feels like it's a match for me to work with that person, I will then go ahead and uh, hire them at, to do business coaching with me. Because what I have found is that when I'm trying to figure something out myself, which I can do, I'm fiercely independent like many, many other entrepreneurs, uh, I find that I end up more frustrated. It takes more time than is necessary. And because I haven't figured out how to be able to achieve that thing yet, I'm losing opportunities, which means that I'm also then having it affect my revenue. And I'm not, um, I'm not being able to make the income that I know that I can. Uh, because of that, I want to be able to align myself with the person who already can help me uh, get to that result that I want and know that I'll be able to do it faster, quicker. And as a result of that, my, I see them as an investment as opposed to a cost. So business coaching, find one person. Otherwise, you're trying to, once again, take little pieces of each person's thing and blend them into your own. And you don't get the best results. My time is more valuable than the investment I'm going to make at that point. And I know that the investment will pay, pay off. So I want to be able to really 
manage my time most effectively. And, and by working with someone who is an expert at that thing that I want is the best way to get the results that I want. So it's really necessary for an entrepreneur to um, invest in building their business by um, hiring a coach who knows more than they do, obviously, and who has been very successful at it. Um, how do you help people understand? Um, that, that you know what? I, I actually want to add one thing to that, Michelle, okay. um, as okay. you were talking, because what came up for me is that we value the information that we pay for more than the information that we get for free. And okay. I know that when I'm hiring someone, I have skin in the game and I am going to be so much more likely to show up, to be open-minded and follow through with the suggestions that they gave, give me than mm -hmm. when I'm surfing the internet and just looking at information, taking bits and pieces of all the things that are out there. Oh, that's perfect. You actually answered the question I was getting to anyway. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> so, um, and also, do you find that uh, the individuals who make, uh, who are most successful with their business um, are willing to invest in themselves and that they can't, they can't charge what they won't invest on their own? I don't know if that made sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense to me. And, and let me maybe reframe it. Um, what, one of the things to recognize is that if you want high ticket clients that are going to invest in you at a high ticket, you want to, you first have to do that for yourself and invest in yourself at a high ticket. That was my experience also. Coming from sports psychology and the therapy background, th there's a certain rate that people are willing to pay that's standard for the industry. Uh, and for me to be able to raise my fees, I had to be able to invest in my business coach at a high level and go through that process and the experience of what that was like to, to be able to do that for the first time before I could expect anybody to do that with me uh, simply because it gave me more empathy and presence to help them make the best decision possible for them. Now, when I'm talking with someone during a, a complimentary strategy session, it, it's not that I'm wedded to whether they work with me or not. My intention is to come through as a trusted advisor and help them make the best decision that is going to move their business forward. And it's not that I am committed to them saying yes or no, even though I might have a preference. It's more that I want them to make a decision of yes or no, as opposed to having it be a maybe where they still then have an open loop and by not having made a decision, it holds them back from moving forward uh, in one direction or another. Th therefore, if you really want to charge and get paid what you're worth, then be willing to do that first and invest in yourself because it energetically aligns with the world that you are worth that level of investment because you've taken that action first. And mm -hmm. then you can help somebody else do that for themselves. Yes, thank you very much for that. Um, so, so some you've told us the the five steps, which are really excellent. And and then, when we're making our business, we're going through our business. And again, we had you had mentioned that success is sometimes pretty messy, but we're always told to make smart goals, the specific, measurable, um, accountable. Anyway, I, I always forget the smarts because 
I have some thoughts about that. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So SMART goals are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. Right. I will let you know I'm on the same page with you. I am on war about SMART goals, uh, especially for vision-centered, mission-driven entrepreneurs who have this bigger purpose. Uh, the reason that I am on war with them is because they – came about around the 70s or so for corporate America. Corporate America realized that they weren't getting the best dividends for their stockholders and wanted to increase the dividends that they paid out and the profitability. So they came up with these smart goals to get their employees maybe 3 to possibly 5% more productive because their people were just punching a clock and showing up and doing the minimum necessary. Mm -hmm. That's how smart goals came around. Well, if you are an entrepreneur who is feeling purpose and passion for that difference that you make for other people, then 3 to 5% difference is not going to really engage you enough. And basically, the downside of SMART goals for entrepreneurs is that they're static. Either you're failing or you're succeeding. They're very uninspiring because <laughs> 3 to 5% isn't that much of a stretch for us. They're attainable, and when something's attainable, you're sticking within your comfort zone, and that's not, not going to help you to be able to step up and succeed, and they tend to be externally driven, and external motivation does not have the same power to keep you engaged as something that is internally driven, so somebody else is telling you that you ought to hit these metrics or these numbers or do it by the state, and that isn't what drives us as entrepreneurs. We're more like John F. Kennedy deciding to get into the space race and be the first man on the moon. That's what vision and purpose-driven entrepreneurs do is we shoot for the moon. Well, you can't do that if you're using SMART goals. That's an interesting perspective on that. Um, that SMART goals is pretty much what people start with with their, um, their January Resolu resolutions also and they give up on them usually by the end of January yeah so. two weeks is what I give them <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah it's um it's really uh, and I like that you said that it's externally motivated because we're told that we should make it so that if somebody else is looking at it they can see that we're making progress um a lot of times the goals that an entrepreneur needs to make is not something that somebody else can look at and see that we're making progress because it's, it's internal kind of shifts that are going on. So um, is there, what would be better than a goal? Well, what, what I would say is, first of all, you want to look at something that has, is personally meaningful. We've been talking about per, purpose and passion a lot. So find what's purposely meaningful to you, connected to that why. You want to do something that excites you and is going to be slightly uncomfortable for you. It's not within your comfort zone of what you're capable of doing right now. It's going to stretch you in some way. And the next thing is think about the space race and going for the moon. You know what it is that you want. However, you might not be sure how you're going to achieve it. Uh, those are some of the things you want to consider. And what I find is better than a goal is having a vision. Uh, once again, this is about your business being your space race. And what is the moon for you that you are shooting for? Uh, and, and by going for a vision as opposed to a goal, it really then solves the problems that smart goals have. But basically, a vision has all those elements that keep you engaged. 
It's something that you feel compelled to do. It's not based on logic. It's coming from something internal, deeper within, and you're doing it even though all the signs say that you're taking a risk and it might be against the odds. But you're going to stick with it even though it's uncomfortable. Uh, one of the things that happens also is that just like with the space race, John F. Kennedy created a story about how we were going to be the first on the moon and how we were going to beat the Soviets at the uh, whole space race competition that we were actually sorely losing in. We were the underdog at that point when he declared that. And so he created this story and it was able to be something that blended, that brought together the entire country for a unified um, outcome. And so what is the story around what it is that you want to do that engages all of your senses? You can see yourself successfully achieving your vision, although once again, you might not know the steps to do it with the space race. A lot of the technology and materials had not been invented yet when he declared that we were going to take on that mission. And the other thing is that even though things might not always work out uh, as according to plan, there's a lot of successes that are tucked into the steps that you're taking, the milestones that you achieve, and working towards that vision. So those are some of the things that happen when you have a vision as opposed to a small goal. So if you don't have this outside accountability, then how do you hold yourself accountable? I, I believe that you want to actually have both. For me, I feel that what, what I do every year is I sit down with my husband, Steve, because he works in my business with me. And we sit down and we carve out a weekend and we come with, up with our strategy for the next year. So it's all laid out. It's something that we do together. Uh, before Steve started working with me, I would do this on my own and come up with my strategy for the next year so that it was like my blueprint. Uh, after we ha I had my strategic plan laid out, I am, like I said, continuously working with a coach and my coach is aware of what it is I want to achieve and that person is going to help me move along. And if I'm not moving along, then um, that person's going to help call me out on why I'm not and maybe I need to do something a little bit differently. Um, therefore, I would say that it's definitely a part of internal desire, mm -hmm. being able to calendar things, having the structure in place in your business so that you can find time to work on your business and do those bigger picture things as well as working in your business, which is what's going to be supporting your income and giving you the revenue that you need. So you need to be able to work on your business as well as in your business. And you want a combination of uh, accountability to yourself as well as accountability to other people. Okay, wonderful. So my question that has been coming up for me is like, okay, so you keep talking about that you have to feel really close to your why. It has to be important to you. Would you like to tell us, please, what is your why? Why do you do this? Yes. Uh, my why is based upon a Hebrew term called tikkun olam, T-I-K-K-U-N. Tikkun olam is O-L-A-M. Literally, tikkun olam means repairing the world. I believe that with my work that I do, with helping people to get out of their own way, make a bigger impact, is I get to take them up the ladder with me. And if they can grow into a bigger version of themselves, 
that has more positive influence and impact for other people, then we're all taking the people up the ladder with us and we're making a positive impact uh, on a global level. So that's why I do what I do. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. So um, you've explained to us the difference between a goal and a vision. Mm-hmm. When, when uh, an entrepreneur challenges their capabilities, things come up. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, so when those things come up, is that a sign that we're, that's a wrong direction? Or what is that? Uh, it, it's not a sign that's a wrong direction. Um, it took me a while of going through this process to be able to understand the concept of the breakdown before the breakthrough. When you are doing something that is really purposeful, mission-driven, and it's bigger than your current capabilities, you're going to come up against a wall at some points, and things aren't going to go as planned. A lot of times when I'm in the breakdown, I find that it, everything just starts to mess up. Uh, It could be technology glitches that I have that I'm not normally having, or it could affect my cash flow in some way, or an opportunity that I have been putting energy and effort into all of a sudden fails, and it feels like I'm just hitting one obstacle after another. And I have recognized that when I'm in the breakdown, it's usually because something is out of alignment. Uh, There might be something I ought to be doing, and I'm holding back because it's uncomfortable for me. Or I might have a conflicting value or belief, but I'm not fully committed to what it is that I say that I want to be doing. And so once I recognize where I'm holding back and to be able to shift it around to a way that feels genuine and authentic for me, then I'm able to move forward. I then have that breakthrough and the breakthrough is usually actually even better than I could have anticipated ahead of time. So the breakdown means that there's something out of alignment. Um, What you're trying to do doesn't feel genuine or authentic for you in some way. We need to shift it around. And once we can go ahead and shift it around, then you're going to be positioned to have that breakthrough that you're looking for. Is it possible that the the wall that we run into is not necessarily business related, but is personal related? Absolutely. I believe that as entrepreneurs, it's not like our business is in one compartment and our personal or spiritual life is in another. It's a, it's a blend, there's an ebb and flow. And when something is off in your personal life or your spiritual life, it affects your business. And when things are off business-wise, it affects you personally or spiritually because it's, a, it's all part of who we are. And we're not segmented as uh, neatly as we would like to be. So when something's off in one area of your life, it absolutely impacts other areas of your life too. So it's really important then for an entrepreneur to look at all of those areas and make sure that they're in alignment in all of them. Yes. And sometimes you have to do some really, you have to be brutally honest with you and make some really difficult decisions or have difficult conversations in order to take care of yourself and be in alignment so that you can make a bigger impact for other people and also that you are doing in what's your best interest as opposed to sacrificing yourself for somebody else. So you, you have, I would imagine, a unique perspective on this. I know that you were doing a course not too long ago about um, helping people to actually be in business with their spouses or partners. Mm-hmm. And so how long have you and Steve been working together? 
Uh, Steve and I have been working together in some capacity since 1982, and we still love each other. <laughs> <laughs> and that's awesome. So do you have anything particular in place to help you get over rough spots? Or were you, I mean, is one of you the, the top dog? Are you in charge and he does what you tell him to do? Or how does that work? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be as politically correct with that as possible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, we, we just had a conversation about this over lunch yesterday, about how Steve and I uh, respond to the world differently. And basically, I am the person who is a future forward thinker. I can future trip. I can look at things strategically and see how things might play out down the road. Steve is a present thinker. Uh, and, 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 and we just had this conversation, like I said yesterday, we just named it, which really was beneficial for both of us because I could be talking with Steve about something in the future and laying out the possibilities of what this would mean for us. And he would be right there in the conversation with me. However, once he gets into that experience, it's like we never had the conversation. And it was frustrating for him uh, and frustrating for me also because we couldn't understand why this was going on. And coming across that uh, during the conversation with my mastermind of him being a present thinker really illuminated how his process was different from mine. Even though we knew it was different, we, we found it out. And I will say by working with Steve, I have learned so much about myself because of that, as well as him finding things out about himself. He has really set me up to become the person who I am today. And I believe that I have done that for him too. And we both do it in different ways. So when you work with your spouse, there's other cha unique challenges that you have uh, that are different than when you're self-employed and you don't have your life partner involved with, in your business also. So one of the things that we do is that I work with the couples in business together um, on the business development part and being able to be more profitable. And Steve will work with them on the relationship part so that the, working in business together does not have the ultimate cost of affecting their marriage. That's really wonderful. I really think that that's extremely valuable and important. So thank you for doing that work. Mm -hmm. um, what are three responses to obstacles? Uh, the three, okay, we talked a little bit earlier, Michelle, about hitting the wall. This is what happens eventually at some point. You're going to hit the wall. Either it's going to be a huge mistake. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's going to be some failure that feels so uh out of the blue, you just couldn't have anticipated and you weren't prepared for it. You're going to have one of three responses. Either you're going to retreat, you're going to like raise up your hands in the air and say that, nope, I wasn't meant to be doing it. This is a sign that I ought to go back to what I had been doing before. Even though it wasn't highly satisfactory and it didn't really engage me, it was a known factor and I'm just going to stick within my comfort zone and do what I know how to do. So you retreat. The second person runs into that same exact brick wall. They smack into it head on. And what they do is they take a step back and they say, I need to think about this. There's more research that needs to happen. I need to plan out the steps better. And these are the marinators. And the marinators really need to let things just kind of simmer and sink in. And once they figure out that game plan, then they're ready to get back in the game and move forward again. What is the downside to the marinators is as they take a step back, they lose momentum. 
-hmm. And it takes energy to put that effort back in and get back to where they were. So you have the retreaters who just hold, raise their hands and quit. You have the marinators who take a step back and need to think things through before they move forward again because they uh, don't like really taking big risks. And then you have the implementers. And the implementers are the ones who also run into that brick wall. And what they are doing is looking for any way to get around it, above it, through it, whatever is necessary. It's similar to having a burning house and your three-month-old baby is in that house and the front door is locked. You don't just walk away from the front door and say, I can't do this or let me figure out a plan. You are going to do what, you're going to look for any way necessary to get into that house so you can get your baby out of that house and to safety. And that's what implementers are doing is they're always looking for that way forward, even when things come up that are unexpected for them and uh, cause them to not get the results that they want. So they're always looking for that way forward no matter what. They're fully committed to getting that result. And uh, they, they recognize the importance of continuing to move forward instead of having starts and stops uh, because it's more like the marathon as opposed to the sprint. I like that very much. When you were talking about the marinator, I kind of had this actual visual of somebody slapping, you're running into the wall <laughs> and slithering down and sitting in a puddle while I try to figure out what to do next. So thank you so much. Lauren, I really have been very grateful to have you on today. And how can people con connect with you and learn more about you? Uh, well, thank you for letting me share that. If you're interested in figuring out what those five steps are first, uh, of uh, figuring out what your strengths are, looking at how to separate your fees from times, uh, wondering where you're holding back because success is messy, uh, how to stand out as a go-to expert and what need that you solve, then I have a free book called Get Paid What You're Worth. It's at businesssuccesssolution.com forward slash worth. Go ahead and hit the button, put in your name and email address, and you'll immediately get the book that helps you to get started on figuring out how to get paid what you're worth. And if you feel that what I spoke about resonated with you, connected with you, you are ready to invest that uh, effort, money, time into really making a bigger impact, then I offer complimentary Grow Your Ideal Business Strategy Session. And with that, you can go to businesssuccesssolution.com forward slash let's talk and fill out a couple questions and then we'll look at uh, how to have a further conversation about what it might look like to uh, work closely together and to take your business to the next level. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Lauren. And I really appreciate you coming on to have this conversation with us today. So to those of you who are listening, I do recommend Lauren Fogelman. I've known her for a long time and she's really very, very good at what she does. So thanks again, Lauren. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts 
at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.